Matt Ulrich, 2021 Salt Lake Board President. Alicia Holdaway, your immediate past president. Tony Ketterling, Salt Lake Board of Realtors Board Member. Sarah McConkey, President of Intermountain Association Management. Welcome everybody to the Salt Lake Board's podcast. This is episode 46. Um, I'm going to encourage everybody to go back and listen to episode 18 back in February of last year. So we're about just a year of apart from doing an HOA podcast. And we're lucky to have Sarah McConkey here with Intermountain uh, Homeowners Association. Uh, we're lucky to have her back on again. Last time it was awesome. I went back and listened to it and there's a lot of good information that all the Salt Lake Board, if not all agents, listen to regarding how we should handle homeowners associations and getting disclosures and getting all the information needed. So um, again, reference back to episode 18. I think you'll be caught up on that. But today we're going to cover a few different issues regarding some new bills passed and some other requirements for the HOA. We wanted to reference uh, Utah Code 57817 and 578A227, which obligates the HOA to provide the HOA docs to sellers and seller agents within five days. So as you guys are very aware, the real estate market here in Utah is really, really competitive right now, hot and competitive. And part of that when you're purchasing in a community association is that you want to uh, have disclosures for your due diligence period. Under state statutes, a company like mine has five days to provide that information. And sometimes your um, time frame in your seller providing it is less than five days. And so it's really, really important as the listing agent to uh, complete the form. And you guys probably know the form better than I do. The MLS has a form that I know you guys t- talked about quite a bit about providing that we was out last year um, that sellers, agents, can have a seller fill out this form and submit it to the homeowners association to be able to get all the HOA information. To, so the seller doesn't necessarily have to get it, even though the seller should, but Leisha? Yeah, so that form is specifically um, called the request to homeowner slash community association for documentation. Essentially that gives a listing agent the right to act on behalf of the seller because Prior to that document, uh, oftentimes we'd call to get documents and they'd be like, well, I'm not going to talk to you, right? You're not the member of the association, your seller is, um, or you can just pay some money and go to HomeWise Docs and get the docs. So um, we talked a lot about that on the previous uh, podcast and just the importance of really having your um, seller's disclosures prior to listing the home on the market. There is zero reason why um, you shouldn't have seller's disclosures and homeowner stocks and all of that, especially in this market. It's funny, I'm, I was listening, re-listening to that podcast and thinking, you know, where were we a year ago uh, when we recorded it? And uh, our entire worlds have shifted since then. And, and a year ago, we were talking about the pace of the market and how fast it was little did we know it was going to quadruple <laughs> in speed, you know, 12 months later. Um, so it, it, more than ever before, um, I just think of, you know, I, I'm putting a listing life today and I'm like just bracing myself for the frenzy, right? And it's like, I have my spreadsheet ready and I have my, you know, offer suggest. It's just like, how can I remove 
is it stressful for buyers right now? Of course, it's tumultuous for buyers right now, but also I'm sorry, going over 40 offers for a seller is really, really stressful. The last thing I want to be doing today and tomorrow is asking my seller to go scramble and get docs together. That just blows my mind. Um, so in preparation for your listing, seller's property condition disclosures and HOA docs, all of the documents that are in section seven of the contract, there is, in my opinion, no reason not to have those prior to going live. Right. Make it easier on yourself, on the buyers that potential buyers agents that might potentially ask for those in advance because we're seeing hard earnest money and things of that nature. And the most importantly, the, the clients, right? Help your sellers not have to stress about that. So talk with your sellers because oftentimes companies like mine will have community web portals for homeowners that already have all of this information readily available to them. So they literally just have to download it and give it to their agent or give their agent their username and password for all I care and, and have them do it. So yeah, get it ahead of time, even and before like, it goes live. And like Leisha said on the last podcast, it's important. And she's mentioning now is getting those in advance. And I think it's more times than not, we're seeing agents not doing that in advance. And then like Leisha said, scrambling to get them when you're already dealing with all that. And so one of the biggest, uh, there's a few complaints we're seeing a lot that we're seeing at the board, the Salt Lake board, is this the agent saying they're not a big deal and they're not even sending them. They're telling the buyer's agent it's their job to get them. And then the buyer's agent has to pay or the title, so one of the, somebody has to pay for them where the seller gets them free, as we talked about in episode 18, where the seller can get them free and give the agent access, the listing agent access to get it. But the listing agent's job is a seller's responsibility. As again, as we mentioned in episode 18, that it is the seller's responsibility to provide those and make sure that they provide all of the documentation from the minutes and the budgets. And as you guys talked a lot about assessments and whatnot. And, but if we're not providing those as a listing agent, the seller's in default. Right now, we need to make sure we're getting those in advance, like Alicia was mentioning. Telling the buyer's agent that it's not a big deal is so unprofessional. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Well, it's a huge deal. It's a huge yeah. deal. Those documents that are needing to be disclosed tell you the financial health of the association, what the restrictions are in the community, and, and you need to know if it lives with meets your lifestyle. The, what is reserved, what's not reserved. So those documents, it is a big deal. One of the things I think that really gets missed in the speed of the market is the professionalism that drops. Because of the speed of the market, people stop doing things they should be doing. And you have no business putting a property on the market in this market until you have all the documentation. Because I agree completely with Alicia and Matt you don't have time to chase that stuff down. And now you're just the disservice that you're doing your seller by not getting that documentation early means that you're putting them in default and they have the chance of losing that particular contract. That might be a very good contract and losing that contract and affecting their lives. So one of the things I think is really important for us to understand is just because the market is crazy doesn't mean that we shouldn't be professionals. We, that's when we really need to even step up our game more so, so that we're not putting our clients at risk, buyers and sellers. I think it's really important. So. I think I've heard Alicia say something along the lines of, we need to slow down so that we can speed up. I feel so honored that you like remember my tagline. <laughs> I, no, I, I tell my clients all the time, we go slow 
so that we can go fast. We go slow up front so that we can meet the pace of the market when we jump in. But if you don't slow down up for up front, let to Tony's point, you cause problems later. So, um, and you know, on the last episode, Curtis mentioned that it just so happened when we recorded the, the previous podcast, he was in the process of looking at a litigation that was against a seller for lack of disclosures. And, um, you know, it can be become a very real thing. So, and I want to add to what you guys are even re referring to is in this market where it's so crazy and it's frenzy and it's hot where homes are selling and we, we keep having all these disruptors coming in and trying to diminish the value of a realtor. I think if we're not being the professional, we're not doing these basic things of getting all the documentation beforehand, or as Alicia says, slow down and get them beforehand. And, and I agree hundred percent with Tony is it, we are so wrong in not having those ready and we're doing a disservice, as you guys keep mentioning to our, not only to our sellers, but to just ourselves in general as showing the professionalism and our value as a realtor, not having those done in advance and having those ready to go, we're diminishing our value. And with so many disruptors trying to prove that our value is not there when it is, we provide such a great service and invaluable service. I think we need to be, be the professional. And I love that slow down to speed up. That's awesome. Yeah, and I got to say, you know, for every, you know, one unprofessional agent, there's 50 who do it right. Right. And I am just like two weeks ago, I close on it next week. I had a first time buyer who is putting 3% down and just, she didn't have cash to go over appraisal. I mean, just entering this market, it felt dim, right? Like, you know, purchase price max of 240, like just, it felt very overwhelming for her. We got our very first offer, one and done, first offer accepted and we beat out cash. And wow. the reason we got it was because she was willing to put non-refundable earnest money up front but only if we saw all of the HOA documents first, it was a condo and all of the seller's disclosures first because it had been totally flipped. So we doc talked about pros and cons of non-refundable earnest money. We talked about the risks in an association. We mitigated those risks by seeing all the disclosures up front. And the listing agent was so impressed by that, that she said, we just feel like this is such a solid deal. You guys did your homework, you did whatever. And we beat out cash offers. Um, and so is there still risk? Certainly, right? She still needed to do an inspection and all of that. It went fabulous. But had that listing agent not had those documents prepared, that wouldn't have been a reality. The seller's exceptionally happy because it's been one of the easiest deals I've ever done. Um, the buyer is ecstatic. We have a new single gal, young gal homeowner in our community. Like there's so many positive ripple effects to, to the agent just doing their job. So that um, agent uploaded the seller's disclosures in the MLS and the uploaded forms? Nope. No, I just asked for them and she already had them. She hadn't uploaded them to the MLS, but, and not, she hadn't uploaded the HOA docs, but she had them all. So when I requested them, she was like taken back that I had requested them and then so appreciative. As a buyer's agent, that's pretty incredible on your part. So good job. Well, it was the key. I mean, I, I look at it like big picture, right? We have this young 21 year old homeowner when everybody's saying, first time buyers are like, there's no chance. It's not true. It can happen, but I just, you know, anyway, kind of a tangent, but. And I would like to add to that. I know we encourage 
our office um, to go ahead and upload all those documents, the seller, all the HOA documents into the MLS. So when agents are looking at showing the home or setting appointments or before they show it or before they offer, there all the documentations are in the uploaded section in the MLS. And so we don't have to provide those later because they're already there. And so they're not waiting on us before. And so like Tony is referenced and you referenced and getting beforehand, not only get those, upload those to the MLS, they're already there. They're accessible to anybody that's showing the home and it can help like you, you said with your offer and said, I mean, you, I don't think too many people go ahead and ask for those in advance, which is awesome on your part, but it avoids them even having to ask if it's already in the MLS and ready for someone to preview. Totally. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, Sarah, if you're good jumping into reserve studies, this is an area I get a lot of questions about, and I don't think many people really truly understand. Um, I mentioned this on the previous podcast, but I became painfully aware of a reserve study when I decided to sit on the board of my HOA in where I lived years ago. Suddenly we had to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to conduct one. Um, so let's dive into reserve studies. What are they? What's a uh, what's the actual requirement for developers and, and builders versus the actual association, et cetera? And can okay. I add that before you get into it? Because when you were talking about in the last episode, I would love for it to be referenced. And I don't know if every HOA has them in a specific spot and easier to access because I think that's a great thing to access, but maybe mention where they're at in the documentation so that easier for us to reference our, set, our buyers to look at them. Sure. So reserve studies real quick. They are a study done typically by a professional. They don't have to be, but I think it reduces liability if they are um, done by a reserve study specialist. And it outlines over a 30 year period, what the association should be saving for the repair and replacement of all the common elements that the association is responsible for. And each association is going to be different, right? We might have clubhouses and pools, roofs, siding, whatever, but each association is different. So, and the documents outline what the association is responsible to maintain. So this study gives you basically a roadmap of savings, financial planning for the community long-term. Builders are not required to have them done prior to turnover under current state statutes. Some builders ask us to get them completed before turnover. Most do not. It's not required for them to do it. However, the association is required to have them. So you need a full reserve study on, let's say it turnover happens, that's year one. I, my recommendation, even though the law is not clear, is to have them done within the first year after turnover. Because this, again, it's financial planning for the community as a whole. So year one, we have a full one done. Year three, we have to have an update. And that usually costs about half the price of the full one. And then three years after the update, we have to have another full one. So you're in a rotation every three years between a full and, a, and an update. And that's and they required by law? It is required by law. It is not an exception. Re My, regardless of size. Regardless of size. The law does allow for communities themselves to conduct their own reserve study. But again, I don't recommend that just because of the liability aspect of it. Um, let a professional do it. They, they know the market. They know what things cost. They have all the formulas. Let them handle it. Let them hold the liability. So Sarah, I have a specific question to myself because uh, I, I find this interesting. I've just purchased in a new area with a builder. Um, mm -hmm. 
they still are the HOA and they are going to be turning that over to us when they get to a certain percentage, I think it's 90% finished. Okay. Um, my, my question is, should we, as a, I'm on the advisory board for that, should we as the advisory board be asking that builder, have they done this reserve study or is it going to be responsibility of the HOA once they turn it over? And from what I'm hearing you say, then we need to make sure that we have that done within the first year. Yeah, right? it's my yeah, it's my recommendation that it's done within the first year. And that's not required by law. Like I said, the law isn't super clear on those requirements, but when you're financial planning, you need the information as quickly as possible. I'm sure there's a lot of our uh, agents, clients that are finding themselves in this position because they're buying new construction and Correct. it's in the same way where the builder is. So thank you. So if you're on an advisory committee, yeah, absolutely approach your builder and say, hey, have you had one done um, yet? If not, would you be willing to have one done prior to turnover? Um, if whatever the answer is, if they say, yeah, let's get it done, great. Go, reach out to those professionals and have it done. If they say, no, we're, we're not going to do it, we're not required to do it, then the advisory committee, who oftentimes becomes the new board, they get elected because they're still volunteering, <laughs> not Tony, <laughs> um, then they need to first thing out the door. I mean, that's one of the first conversations I have with the newly elected board is reserve study. We need one. Here's a bid. And here's why you need it. That's great. Great information. Thank you. That's one of, again, um, just based on personal negative experience, um, having, you know, purchased in a new community of single family homes that was uh, originally the declarant was the builder and then turned over to the homeowners association. They so grossly underestimated the, the monthly assessment on purpose for marketing purposes um, that when it got turned over, suddenly we went from $99 a month to $150 a month, right? And so um, one of the first questions in my list of questions that when I have a buyer considering new construction is, have you done a reserve, a reserve study? And if not, it, are your HOA assessments, what are they based on? How did you come up with your budget, right? And are does it include a budget line item going towards reserves. Because even if they didn't do a reserve study, are they just totally leaving, handing the bag over to the homeowners of, of you know, here's a community of 300 units and no reserves? That's a nightmare. Let's take that a step further too. So oftentimes builders will say, they will say, we need it, we need reserves. We're, we're going to cap it at the, the requirement for funding at 10% of the income. Well, if you're looking at a townhome or a condo or a community that has a lot of amenities, 10% of the annual budget is not enough. Like it's just not enough. And so already you're setting this community up out the gate for underfunding the reserves. Now, the way to compensate that oftentimes is that they will take the reinvestment fee and have that put into reserves to build the reserves. But that goes away. The reinvestment fee, whatever that's set at, once everything's built out, you don't have that kind of volume of income coming in because people aren't selling that quickly. And so, so that's a false sense. I have a question on the reserves because you, you talked about it on the previous episode 18 about the amount of reserves and what they should have. And there was a conversation about there being a 5% is like unacceptable. And you were saying they should be much higher, like up in the 90s or even 100% is kind of where you want to see the reserves at. So where would we find where the reserves are at and is it going to 
be very specific on what percentage or where it's at? Yeah, so a um, couple of places to look for what's in the reserve account and then what reserve funding should be done is one, the balance sheet is, should have a reserve account. It should be a separate account that says reserves on the balance sheet for the financials. On the income and expense statement, it should have a line on an item um, of where you, they're taking out of the operating every month and putting into reserves, okay? I label it as unallocated reserves. There's lots of different references to it. Now, funding levels in the reserve study, it's typically on one of the first few pages, it will outline um, current funding, recommended funding, minimum recommended, and percentage of current funding. And if that level, if that number is in the low percentage, it's a red flag. And you can combine that with, if you're looking at the assessments and the assessments for a single family home community with a private road and no amenities, but their assessments are $300, that's a little out of whack, why? Go to the reserve study and find out if they, last time they had their reserve study done, if they were underfunded and they're trying to build their reserves. So they don't run into a 35 hundred dollar a month assessment that's due in 90 days or whatever you said 30, last 30 days 30, 30 days. days yeah yeah that was crazy here i'm like oh yeah that would hurt a lot of the home buyers in that community well we actually had a, a situation um recently where it's a 10 unit community the roofs all needed to be replaced they had not been financially healthy we, we've been trying over the last 18 months to get them financially healthy but their roofs need to be replaced again 10 units $120,000 total bill. And so that's a $12,000 special assessment due in 30 days. Ouch. Ouch. Can we talk about that a little bit? One of the questions that one of our members asked on the Facebook group was, um, you know, if the worst case scenario happens, I mean, in your example, the reserves weren't there. It was previously poorly managed, whatever. And you have this new large assessment. Dividing that total assessment by the homeowners and due in 30 days isn't the only option, right? What no. are the options um, in terms of Great question. actual loan funding, you know, yeah. and things of that nature, building it over time? Like what are the options for an HOA? Yeah, so there, there's quite a few options. A loan is one. Um, there's pros and cons to that. To, to get a loan, typically there's requirements from the bank and your collateral is all future assessments. So think about that. All future assessments is theirs until that loan's paid. That's, that's pretty intense. That seems yeah. like a perpetual disaster. Could be, could be. And you know, I had a community that took out a $600,000 loan. And so for the next 10 years, they're paying $7,000 a month to pay it off. Probably not the best option for loans, they can do it, but it's not usually the best option. The next one is um, I've got a communities that they're trying to build their reserves. So annually they'll do a special assessment of say a thousand dollars and homeowners can break it up over 12 equal payments if they need to. That's an option. And that's um, just like proactively trying to build back up, not necessarily, right. oh, we had these roofs and. Right. Uh, I mentioned when you're done talking about that, an issue that we recently ran into with some of my ages, but go ahead. No. And, and so the other is depending on what the repairs are. So this roof had to be done. We've got major problems. We couldn't wait. So the money was needed within 30 days. So we'd get the project started. So there's circumstances like that. There's others that the, the board says, you know what, we know this is coming. We need to have the money in six months. 
here's the special assessment. We're going to allow owners to pay over six months as long as it's no less than one sixth equal payments. When I recently heard about a similar incident where they weren't, there's assessments being assessed, but a buyer is wanting to buy a property. The sellers provided partial of the information. They kept asking and requesting that, and they kept prolonging getting them the information and prolonging getting them the information. And obviously, due diligence passed, they closed on the property. Uh, they weren't given all the information. And of course, you as a buyer and buyer agent, you should be getting all the information. Seller, seller agent should be getting the information that came out to be a similar situation where the roof was assessed and it was huge. And it was something that the buyer was unable to obtain or manage. And so they end up saying, suing the seller because they failed to give them all the information and they claimed they knew about it because of letters that were given and they never provided any of that information. Now, given us it's complicated because buyers and buyers agents were supposed to be doing due diligence, but uh, when a seller fell to provide that information, now the buyer is suing the seller and it's just a big mess. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we want to get all that information in a timely manner. And, you know, you're protecting yourself by providing that. And if a buyer fails to see it, that's on them. But if you don't give them the information that impl implicates you as a seller. So that's huge the thing who knows how that lawsuit will end up, right? Yeah. Buyer or seller, but regardless, all the 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 mayhem in the in between right who wants to deal whoever comes out on the better end of that everybody had to go through a lawsuit yeah, mouth, yeah. time and emotional bandwidth and that's no bueno thanks everyone for being part of the salt lake board of realtors podcast episode 46 and look forward to joining for episode 47 we'll see you on the next episode thank you